This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you for joining us once again for another interview. And it is my absolute honour to have Colonel Alan West join us today. Colonel West, thank you for your time. Uh, Peter, thanks for having me. And it's great to be able to talk to my country cousin from uh, across the big pond. It's great. I hope you can give us some sense of what's been happening in in different places, but thank you for joining us. We kind of titled this The Deranged Liberal World Order and the Death of Reason, which that Mm -hmm. means this conversation can really go anywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. Your details are in the bottom, at Alan West on Getter on Twitter, and the ACRU.org, which is the American Constitutional Rights Union, which we will get into in a little bit more depth. But um, I think I've certainly seen you as a a political figure, um, former candidate for Texas governor. Uh, You were chair of the Republican Party in Texas, represented Florida in a congressional district, Um, but maybe, and of course, a retired army lieutenant colonel. But maybe you can introduce yourself to our viewers. Many of them will be British. They may not have come across you. For the few of them who have not, do you want to just take a moment and introduce yourself? Well, sure. I'd be happy and honored to, and hopefully everyone can get through my southern accent uh, completely understand what, I, uh, what I'm saying. You know, I was born and raised down in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and the great thing was in, on February the 7th, 1961, I was born in a Blacks-only hospital. And so when you think about the fact that I am born in a Blacks-only hospital and all of those incredible accolades that you just read off, that's why I really love this country and the equality of opportunity that it affords to people. Uh, our family is a military family. My father served in World War II in the European theater of operations. He was wounded there in Italy. Uh, my older brother was a United States Marine. He served in Vietnam. I did 22 years of service in the United States Army myself. My father-in-law, my wife's uh, dad was also 24 years Army. My nephew is also a Lieutenant Colonel in the United States Army, and he is uh, following my footsteps as an artillery officer and about to take command of a battalion. And next week, uh, I get the chance to go down and see the uh, graduation of my son-in-law, my youngest daughter's uh, husband, from Army basic training in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. So if you want to nail it down to one thing, the West family has always been about service, sacrifice, and commitment to the United States of America. Countless generations have taken oath to support and defend our Constitution. Tell, tell us about, I'm curious to hear about your, your life as, as a serviceman, your life in the Army. Uh, what kind of does that mean to you? Because I think we often have a different opinion of our armed forces. We have a lower opinion here in the UK, where in the mm-hmm. US you've got a much higher. So tell us about what it meant for you to serve in the military. Well, at the age of 15, my dad challenged me to be the first officer in our family. And that is, uh, I started in high school in junior ROTC, uh, wearing a uniform at the age of 15, and then continued on at the University of Tennessee uh, in the ROTC program there. And that's where I earned my commission as a second lieutenant in the field artillery in uh, 1982. And I went on active duty when I graduated in 1983. Uh, America's had a, a dark spell, you know, definitely coming out of Vietnam with the respect and regard of our military. That has returned. 
But I think one of the critical things we see right now with this introduction of the wokeism into our military, we're struggling with recruitment and retention right now because that's not why young men and women join our military is to be told that a certain group is an oppressor and the other groups are the, is oppressed. And, you know, you, you can't have a cohesive fighting force that way. Uh, and I had uh, several opportunities to be there in England uh, during my military career. I was a paratrooper stationed in Vicenza, Italy. So I jumped into, I'll never forget the Salisbury Plains yeah. and uh, spent about a month and a half on an exercise there. And I was a jump master for the aircraft. And one of the checkpoints was Stonehenge. And it was nothing like looking out at an aircraft and seeing Stonehenge <laughs> down below you. Uh, and then also had the opportunity to go and do uh, some joint training at Camberley with the uh, British Staff College there. So very near and dear in my heart working with the British uh, military. And of course, after I retired, I uh, served in Afghanistan for two and a half years as a civilian military advisor to the Afghan army. And of course, I was based in Kandahar and next to us was uh, Helmand province and that's where the UK was set up there. And so I had a lot of great interactions with the uh, British military on the ground there. So I think that you have to understand that Politicians don't preserve our societies. They don't preserve and protect our nations. It's the men and women who raise their right hand and they take an oath uh, to go out there and stand on freedom's rampart. So I would hope that in the UK that that restoration could happen in regard for your military services there. No. Well, what are your thoughts then as you look at what has happened to the military? I think Afghanistan was a, a extremely low point mm. and now I think the military are more concerned about having transgender uh, generals than they are about training. So what are your thoughts as you look now on, on the U.S. military, kind of that from the top up? Sure. Well, without a doubt, what happened in Afghanistan will go down as the greatest strategic, operational, and tactical debacle in U.S. military history. Mm. And that was not so much about the young men and women that are on the ground. But one of the things that people have to realize, in our military, uh, once you get past what we call the one-star level, which is the brigadier general or rear admiral level in our maritime forces, all of those uh, promotions for general officers are by political appointments. So you're two-star, three-star, and four-stars. And what happened during the Barack Obama administration was that he very successfully uh, purged our senior level leadership of our military. And that was one thing that Donald Trump did not recognize was that you got to go back in and clean house and not just, you know, with the military leadership we have, but also with what we call the bureaucratic administrative state. Some people call it the deep state, you know, going through those agencies and making sure that you don't have those people that are going to undermine your policies. And so when we did not see that happen and now you have Joe Biden come along, you have these political ideologue uh, military members, senior military members. That's why you see the focus is on cultural Marxism. Yeah. Uh, the focus is on gender dysphoria. I think that, you know, some of the great uh, leaders of our Navy, you know, Bull Halsey, Nimitz and those, they would be absolutely appalled. Just the same as you think about people as uh, like Patton and uh, uh, General MacArthur. Uh, they would be appalled. Even George Marshall or even, you know, Omar Bradley would be appalled at what we see happening right now. And so a lot of people say that the United States military that we saw land on the beaches in Normandy on uh, June the, the 6th of 1944, could we really do that today with the type of leadership that we have? And that's the big concern that we have with our military is to move away from a politicized ideological military that is you know, kicking people out and threatening to give them dishonorable discharges 
because they don't want to follow an unethical, immoral, unlawful order to have uh, an emergency use authorized, not approved vaccine, well, just a shot, you know, implanted into their bodies. And what does, uh, uh, can I pick you up on that? What what has been the, the pushback? Uh, have those who've lost their positions in the army, have any of those been reinstated or is the Biden administration pushing on with getting rid of everyone who doesn't get a job? Well, as a matter of fact, they, we have 60,000 members of our National Guard forces that are going to have their pay and benefits cut because they refuse to accept this shot. So this administration is going to do everything they possibly can to undermine our national security posture and our military readiness because it's all about an ideological agenda that they have. So until we can you know, get a different uh, legislative body, House and Senate uh, Republican control. And then, of course, we get a new presidential administration. A lot of these things are going to continue on. So, you know, right now there is legislation that has been introduced in the United States House of Representatives to reinstate these individuals uh, if they wish to to be reinstated at their rank and their benefits that they had uh, prior to them being kicked out. But to, to give a dishonorable discharge to individuals that don't want to have a shot in their arm, that's just, you know, that's very disconcerting. And and to me, it is, it's almost criminal. And you look at some of our combat pilots, you look at our special operators that are out there being put out, that takes a lot of training and resources to go in and create, you know, a combat fighter pilot or Navy SEAL or Special Forces Green Beret, for instance. No, absolutely. And um, to have a, a pilot who's trained to fly an F-35 beautiful mm. aircraft and to see them kicked out, not because of failure to pilot the aircraft, but failure to get a job seems seems madness. But on the, also on that you mentioned about the, the woke agenda coming in, how does, how does that degrade? Because the U.S. have had a position on the world stage economically, but also militarily. And... Mm-hmm. I certainly look at it from over here concerned that that degradation of the U.S. military will remove their place in the world at a time where I guess China is ramping up. No, you're absolutely right, Peter. And you think about Ronald Reagan and that very important mantra that he has, peace through strength. And so if you don't have that strong, credible deterrent, you're going to see all the problems like we see happening right now. It's very interesting to note that Vladimir Putin did not make any encouragements into Ukraine until there was the Obama administration, who, of course, sent MREs and socks, and now the Biden administration, who is showing weakness as well. President Trump fired missiles into Syria, and he killed 200 members of the Russian paramilitary group called the Wagner. I keep losing. I don't know why. I'm not sure why I lose. It's the, it's the heat, man. <laughs> it's the global warming, okay? It's the, you're not... <laughs> You're not used to that over there in the UK. It's true. I, I'm mopping my brow as we speak because I'm not. <laughs> you guys probably don't even have air conditioning. I mean, no, not... no we have no air conditioning. <laughs> air, it doesn't exist in Britain. <laughs> well, that's a great weight loss program. You have a personal home sauna. <laughs> Oh no. my, it's, it's, uh, yeah, as I said to you before, this is the reason why I would love to live in Texas or Florida, but it's just too hot. Yeah, it, too hot. it is hot. Although last winter, uh, 2021, it was too cold. And of course, we had the, <laughs> the blackout and we froze, uh, you know, literally. But, yeah. you know, getting back to the topic at hand, we were discussing 
um, you see the weakness that's coming out of this administration. And when you look at the degradation of your military forces, that encourages, that entices other people. So now China, who has been using their economic growth to build up their, their, uh, their armed forces, especially their maritime forces, they're about to launch their third aircraft carrier. And when you read their one belt, one road strategy, this is exactly what they're implementing. You look at Russia, what they're doing. You look at Iran what they're doing. And sadly, we're going out and trying to go back into the Iranian nuclear agreement and send them billions, maybe even trillions of dollars. You know, why would we send that type of money to the number one state sponsor of Islamic terrorism in the world? Yeah. So everything that you see emanating out of this administration, uh, which affects the United States of America, it also affects the world. You had our president going begging hat in hand to Mohammed bin Salman, uh, when we have oil and gas resources in abundance right here in the state of Texas that yeah. he is not tapping into. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. I think that probably leads me on to the, the Democrats, and they seem to have lost their mind. One way is to get energy from the other side of the world whenever it's there in the U.S. But so many things that have happened uh, seem to be the loss of any rational conversation a complete loss of, of sanity mm -hmm. on the border on energy uh, mm -hmm. you could go through a list but how how do you view that as an american looking at that where you can no longer have a dialogue i guess they believe that what they're doing is perfectly fine they don't believe in our national sovereignty so why shouldn't anyone just walk across the border into the united states of america and get all the rights and privileges thereof they don't believe in our strong national security. They don't believe in our energy independence. As a matter of fact, you just had the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, uh, sit there and say, yes, we want paying at the gas pump because that will benefit the uh, people going out and buying electric vehicles. But guess what? The average cost of electric vehicle, the, the most low-end electric vehicle here in the United States of America is still about $42,000, and that's a little Kia. Well, there are so many people here in America, they can't afford a $42,000 electric vehicle. And oh, by the way, you don't have enough infrastructure and charging stations. But when you look at the 9.1% inflation on top of that, you know they just can't keep up with all of these things. But this is what the left does, and, and their ideological agenda drives and fuels what they do and who they are, even though, Peter, we can point to Venezuela, we can point to the Soviet Union, we can point to all of these different failed uh, socialist economic uh, endeavors and say, this has never worked. But what they will come back and say to you, because they didn't go left enough, they weren't socialist enough. And so what you see happening in the United States of America is that the left is you know, now talking about getting rid of Joe Biden, not because of all the, you know, failings in the cop. Mm -hmm. He hasn't been strong enough with implementing their leftist agenda, which <laughs> I will tell you right now, how can you go from 1.6% inflation to 9.1% inflation yeah. in 18 months? That is an abject failure right there. Well, how much will inflation and fuel prices play a part in the midterms? They will play a part in the midterms along with uh, with food prices. 
uh, because these are the things that people are talking about every single day at their kitchen tables. These mm. are the things that people are talking about when they go to fill up their gas tank, because they know that a month and a half ago, the average price of gasoline was just a little over $2 in the United States of America. They go and they see 33% increase on eggs. You know, we just had our Independence Day celebration. Most people could not afford to go out there and buy the meat that they could put on the grills because of the, the cost of inflation and their wages are not keeping up with that. So those are the issues that people are talking about. No one is sitting in their home talking about, you know, climate change, okay? other than the fact that it's hot. But things go in cycles. Last year in in uh, Texas, we had a very mild uh, summer. And, and of course, we had a horrific winter back in 2021. No one's sitting around talking about gender dysphoria and how we need to teach our kids more about, you know, transgenderism and cultural Marxism. They, they don't want that. But that's what the left is focused on. And that's why I think that they are setting themselves up for a huge electoral defeat this November. And have the media woken up? Uh, because the media are made up of men and women individuals. They're impacted by all of this. They must be beginning to ask questions. So how has it affected the kind of mainstream liberal media? Well, I think that it has affected the mainstream media in that now they are sudden realize that Joe Biden is not going to be able to carry the, the water for them. And so you start to see them, the New York Times writing an article about Joe Biden's age and how he probably should not run for re-election. But again, that is not about going after the failure of his policies because they want even left further left policies. It's just the fact that this is not the guy that can champion that for them. And he has become uh, international and embarrassment and a national embarrassment without a doubt. So I don't think they've learned a lesson whatsoever. And when you look at what happened in the election in Virginia, when the uh, left was resoundingly defeated. And of course you have a Republican uh, governor, uh, a black female Republican Lieutenant governor, Hispanic, uh, male uh, attorney general in Virginia, which of course they don't want to recognize, but they did not come back and look at themselves, Peter, and say, okay, wh what was it that caused us to lose in Virginia? Well, the number one thing was when Terry McAuliffe said parents don't have a right to decide what the children are being taught on a debate stage. Wow. That incensed parents. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about making people that are going and showing up at school board meetings, referring to them as domestic terrorists, you drove them out. But the left did not look at that and say that, okay, we need to make some changes. They tripled down. They said that all of this shows that the people in Virginia were even more racist. Well, how can you be racist if you just voted in your first black female lieutenant governor and a Hispanic attorney general? But that's the delusion and the derangement of this liberal world order and how unreasonable they are. I mean, talking about... Talking about race in this, uh, traditionally, generally, same in the UK, uh, we have the uh, generally black people will be more conservative, the Hispanic will be more conservative, mm -hmm. we from Southeast Asia will be more conservative, but mm -hmm. they vote for the left. So same here as you have over there. I get, so how does that, I've seen some positive results uh, recently, um, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering, will that change from the black Hispanic vote being for the Democrats, will that can change, change to be more conservative and be for the Republican? 
Well, absolutely. And you're seeing it here in Texas, and it is really causing a lot of consternation for the Democrat Party. They just lost a special election down in South Texas in a congressional district that had not had a Republican for 150 years. It is the most Hispanic uh the most Hispanic congressional district in the United States of America, 82% Hispanic. Myra Flores is now the uh, member of Congress. Joe Biden has about a 26 to 29% approval rating in the Hispanic community right now. And it really did not help things when Jill Biden came down to San Antonio and compare Hispanics to breakfast tacos. I mean, that was pretty, that was pretty offensive, you know, but the thing is that, and even also in the black community, you know, people are starting to understand that all of the failures of the left are in the major urban population centers. When you have an organization like Black Lives Matter that goes out there, but they don't care about the real black lives that should matter. All the black lives are being murdered, uh, 25 million since Roe v. Wade. The black lives are being killed every weekend in urban cities, black on black crime. The lack of good uh, quality education in the inner city communities because the teachers unions won't allow for school choice. And so more and more people starting to realize and the Hispanics, especially living along the border, they want security. So I think you're gonna see a lot of demographic shifting away from the Democrat party. And that has them very nervous whatsoever. And I saw the video you did actually, we had, um, we had Dr. Ben Carson think two weeks ago about his book, Created Equal, looking at the mm -hmm. issue of race in America. And I saw you've been involved, I think, in doing a film on it. Um, yes. So tell, tell us about that. Yeah, please. Uh, you can go out. The uh, It's Uncle Tom. And now we're about to have Uncle Tom 2 come out. And it really talks about the history of black conservatism in the United States of America and how we have seen the policies of the left completely destroy the black community over time. And so uh, it's a great uh, documentary. You can go and download Uncle Tom 1 right now. And Uncle Tom 2 will be coming out in August. And Uncle Tom, too, is going to really do a good job of the juxtaposition between Booker T. Washington, my ideological mentor, I call him the father of black conservatism, and W.E.B. Du Bois, who was really a socialist and a communist, that white progressives, they created the NAACP, and they mm -hmm. put him in charge of it as the face. But W.B. Du Bois ended up renouncing his American citizenship uh, and, and, you know, for, for communism. And, and so I think it does a real good job of exposing a lot of hypocrisy of the Democrat Party and the left when it comes to its relationship with the black community. And I'm sure you've faced a lot of attacks from the left um, saying that <laughs> you're uh, wrong color to be there or not black or not black. What has it been like for you to be a, a, a well-known Republican figure um, who is black? Uh, what, what have you faced kind of from the left or from the media? I, I've been in three different combat zones, used to jump out of airplanes. So, you know, what the left says about me has very little <laughs> consequence whatsoever. They're pretty irrelevant to me. But you know, the fact that they would, you know, the, the, the guy who is now sitting in the Oval Office would say that if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Yeah. That is really condescending to say that your skin color, your pigmentation is supposed to dictate how you think. And I think uh, many people are moving away from that because they see that as offensive now. And so I take it uh, as, as a matter, as a badge of honor 
that the left would come out and attack you because therefore you know that you're being affected. One of the great sayings of the uh, United States Air Force is that you only take flack when you're over the target. Yeah. So I, I think that that's important to realize. And when people are calling your names, Peter, and I want everyone in your audience to understand this, you're winning the debate. Yeah. If if all it comes down to is you know returning you with a, some you know insidious invective, you're winning the debate. And so I would encourage people to continue on. And you know I'm sitting here talking with you from you know all the way across the the Atlantic Ocean. You know you're not racist. You're not my oppressor, and I'm not oppressed. I'm not a victim. And that's the beauty of it. And that's the beauty of what. Dr. Carson and his life was all about in the book that he wrote. It's about the equality of opportunity. This says black, white, Hispanic, Asian, it doesn't matter. If you have a drive and desire in your heart, you can achieve whatever goals and dreams and aspirations that you want. But what progressivism, socialism, Marxism says that dreams and aspirations can only be achieved by some and they will only be enabled by us. And I think that's what we have to make sure that we defeat, not just in the United States of America, but all across the world. Um, how do you get that message out, I guess, to heal the division and bring people together? Is it through is it through politics? Is it through the church? Is it through community efforts? I mean, how do you see that message ringing true and people connecting when the media, I guess, want to divide people? It's all of the above. It's utilizing all the social media platforms as it's out there. You know, one of the most popular, you know, video clips of me is when I was speaking at Northwestern University up there in Chicago, pretty smart school. And I was speaking on the Iranian nuclear agreement. And the very first question uh, came from a young black female in the, uh, in the audience. And she asked me, do I identify as black? And that has been one of the, yeah, I know. You should, you should look it up. Uh, and that has been, I mean, I could be out at the grocery store and young people will come up to me and say, you're that guy. You're that guy that, you know, the girl asked you if you identified as black. I said, yeah, that's me, you know, salt and pepper, flat top, black guy. But it's, it's just being able to confront them and turn them into a viral YouTube moment. Mm. Yeah. And that's what we have to do is to bring out their their hypocrisy, the insidious nature of who they are. You know, for this young lady to ask me, you know, do I identify as black? You know, when my skin color to her and what she has been taught is that that should dictate how I think. That to me is the most repressive ideology that we could ever face, not just in America, but across the world. And so we got to use all the means possible to expose these people. Exactly. Um, looking forward to the to the midterms, there are so mm -hmm. so many issues that that need yeah. to be fixed. That Biden's managed to to roll back a lot of things, and um, I guess will the midterms, if again to UK audience, um, if the Republicans do take the they'll take the House, uh, they're possibly, probably, maybe will take the Senate, and um, mm -hmm. if they do take hold of those, and what does that mean for? the last two years? And does that actually push back the progressive agenda from Biden? Without a doubt, it pushes it back. And I think you will see Joe Biden as a very lame duck president in his last two years because you'll have a, his own political party that will be seeking to move on beyond him. And the American people will have said resoundingly that they reject the policies and the Democrat control up there in Washington, D.C. But the real point, Peter, is 
How do you win the ideological battle? How do you win the ideological war that is going on? So you can come in and you can get the control of the House and Senate, but you have got to have a policy agenda that is the anathema, the antithesis of what the American people have been suffering. And you've got to put you know, Joe Biden into a box where he cannot continue to inflict the pain on the American people through these failed Green New Deal, economic policies, whatever. I, I think the biggest concern that I see out there is when I look at what just recently happened in Sri Lanka, where you know the ESG score was 98, you know environmental social governance score yep. 98, and they had embraced all of this climate change, Green New Deal, what have you. Yeah, I don't want to see the collapse that we saw in Sri Lanka happen here, and I think that's so important to draw that ideological divide between constitutional conservatism and progressive socialism. And look at what is happening in the Netherlands. Look at those farmers that are taken to the streets. So I, I do see an awakening across the globe where people say, we don't want this. We don't want this top-down centralized economic control. We don't want to have this this uh, ESG uh, and, and this climate change you know, governance that really does destroy our lives and livelihoods. Mm. Well, what for you is the number one concern uh, as an American, uh, looking at elections coming up, uh, looking at this as a military man, a politician, uh, what, what is your kind of number one issue that you sit concerned about? I, I want to make sure that the American people have awakened to this and we don't have a soundbite mentality. We've got yeah. to have a steady state where we continue to combat against this because where we find ourselves in America, this is 50, 60, maybe 70 years in the making. So we cannot think that just one election cycle is going to solve this. We have to continue to press on, and we've got to do a better job educating future generations about what is going on. But without a doubt, when I look outside of the borders of the United States of America, we got a window. And you know the enemies of the United States of America understand that this window is going to close. And they're going to try to do everything they possibly can to inflict whatever harm and damage they can, not just on the United States, but all across the world, uh, because they see this as a period of weakness. So I'm concerned about Russia. I'm concerned about China, Iran, North Korea, Islamic jihadism. I'm concerned about the transnational narco-criminal terrorists that we call the cartels and what they're doing to destabilize our country with the drug, human, and sex trafficking crisis that we are facing here in the United States of America. And of course, many of those problems you mentioned are made worse with an open border when you don't yes. know who's coming over with drugs, people trafficking. Um, I, I, I've always wondered why in Texas, uh, you haven't just built a wall, a massive wall. Who cares what Biden says? Just build a wall. Yes. Uh, well, there obviously that hasn't happened as, as maybe quickly as people would have thought. Mm -hmm. People in Texas are upset with our governor. Because the United States Constitution, the Texas State Constitution, is on the side of doing what is right. The federal yeah. government is supposed to protect every state from invasion. Peter, 800,000 gotaways. That means that folks that we don't know where they are, we, we can't track them or whatever. And most of them are single military-aged males. Now, that number, 800,000, is a greater number than what we have on active duty in our Army and Marine Corps combined. So in essence, we have more people that have illegally come into the country that we have lost track of than we have in our active duty Army and Marine Corps. That's an invasion. And you just have to wonder what's going to happen at some point in time. Remember I talked about that window of opportunity. If someone clicks that, that button, hits the green light, and all of a sudden 
you know, gang violence and everything like that. Because on top of the illegals, you have the illegal guns that are getting across the border. You have terrorists that are getting across this border. So 3.1 million people have come into the United States of America illegally in 18 months since Joe Biden came into office. I mean, what's the population of, of Ireland? What's the population of Scotland? Four and a half million in Ireland, four million. So, wow. <laughs> so we almost have in 18 months, the population of Ireland and Scotland wow. have come into the United States of America legally. And then on top of that, 800,000. I don't know the, what the, the, the armed uh, forces active duty size of the British Army is right now. I don't 85, think it's 800. 85,000, that's all. <laughs> so 10 times wow. the size of the British Army has come into the United States of America illegally, and we don't know where they are. Wow. That's a problem. Wow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you tell us about the work you're doing with the American Constitutional Rights Union. You're the executive director. Yeah. Um, what, when when did you set it up? What was your purpose? And can what will people find when they go in and mm -hmm. look on the website? Well, the American Constitutional Rights Union is about 25 years old, and it was established by men who were uh, part of the Ronald Reagan administration. As a matter of fact, the foreign, for founding board member was his attorney general, Edwin Meese, and he is still on our board of the ACRU. I had done some work with the ACRU previously because, you know, having taken oath to support and defend the Constitution, that's what I'm all about. And that's what the ACRU wants to educate, inform, and activate people on is to stand up for our constitutional rights and freedoms and liberties. And so if you go to our ACRU website, you will see how we talk about the election integrity. We talk about the Second Amendment. We talk about our First Amendment rights. You know, we look at things like the red flag laws they're trying to implement, how that violates the Second, Fourth and Fifth Amendment's rights. And so we're trying to get back to constitutional governance here in the United States of America because we are getting further and further away from that. And so that's the key thing about the Constitutional Rights Union. And we would love to have people that are outside of the borders of the United States of America to, you know, look at us and see what we're doing. And maybe there are things that can be replicated in Ireland, in Scotland, in the United Kingdom overall. Uh, because one of the main reasons why you guys wanted to, you know, get out of the European Union was protecting your borders. Yep. Uh, you can't have this, you know, centralized entity that is trying to tell you what your policy should be over your sovereignty. And so that's, again, one of the critical things that we're facing here is the fact that in the Constitution, it's very clear that the federal government is supposed to protect our borders. And there's this thing called federalism. There are very specific things that the federal government is responsible for, its jurisdictions, and all other things that are not specified to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. And so when you see this uproar over the Supreme Court's decision yeah. here recently, the Supreme Court is now constitutionally based, not ideologically based. And we've just got to do a better job of training and educating people on those things. And that's what the ACU or RU is all about. How is just on a sidestep, how is that decision going to affect the midterms? Uh, I would have been 100% for that, 100% pro-life. But I realized talking to some Republicans, they said, well, maybe the time is not right. It can impact. And uh, I can understand that argument. But so how do you mm -hmm. see that? Will that have an impact or is it simply be the cost of filling up your car, the cost of food? 
the kitchen table issues are the ones that are going to have the impact. And what the left wants to try to do is make this uh, a, an impactful decision for, for the midterm elections. But, you know, when you boil it down, all it said is that this is a decision at the state level. And, you know, it is not one of these things where the federal government can can is not in their jurisdiction. It is not in their purview. And I just got to tell you, and be honest, if the left wants to make an issue of murdering unborn children by dismemberment and by poisoning them all the way up to the day before they're born. And even in California, Maryland, they're talking about legislation that says that after a child is born, if you don't want it, you can allow it to just, you know, neglect and allow it to die. That's not the better angels of our nature in America. And I think that it's going to severely work against them. And especially, especially, Peter, in the minority communities, because the Hispanic community is very strong with their Christian faith. They're very family oriented. That's not going to play well with them. And then in the black community, you know, a very horrific statistic. 38% of the abortions, the murdering of unborn children in the United States of America, are done by 7% of the population as black women. Wow. And again, 25 million black babies murdered in the womb since Roe v. Wade in 1973. That's the genocide that no one's talking about. And Planned Parenthood, their founder was Margaret Sanger, a known white supremacist, a racist, who referred to blacks as undesirables and human weeds that had to be plucked out. And 70% of Planned Parenthood clinics are in black communities. I don't think that's a winning issue, but the problem is that coming back to Republicans, they got to put on their big boy pants and they got to go in there and they got to fight against the progressive socialists. They got to win these issues and not say, yeah, you know, maybe this, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about it. You got to win the ideological battle. Mm. Oh, completely. Can I ask you, Gavin Newsom, do you think he will be uh, kind of thrown into the ring whenever Biden does badly? Who who, would you like? Please, but I mean, I don't like any of them, okay? <laughs> but, but I mean, I want to ask you, how, how delusional, you, you talk about a deranged liberal world order. You're the, you're the governor of California. Everyone is leaving your state. For the first time, you have lost a congressional district representation. And you're running ads in Florida, telling people to leave Florida and move to your state, California. And oh, by the way, California is about to go back to mass mandates and these and things of this nature. Are you kidding me? I mean, you look at California, the homeless situation, the crime. They're about to recall the the largest county out there, L.A. County. They're about to recall that district attorney. They just finished recalling the San Francisco district attorney. And when asked about George Gascon, the L.A. district attorney, Gavin Newsom said, well, I don't really know about him. I don't know what he's doing. You're the governor of the state. This is your largest county. You don't know about the crime and the criminality and him releasing people out and police officers being shot by felons. He doesn't have a chance and you know what. Well, I do I do hope Biden stays because he is a gift to the Republican Party. So Oh no, we'll he's see. done. They are gonna get rid of Joe Biden. Yeah. And and let me tell you, when they have the, the midterm debacle, they're gonna go full bore on undermining Joe Biden. They they want to try to force him to resign mm-hmm. uh, as soon as possible and see what they can do to manipulate. Now, Kamala Harris is no better. Uh, I mean, there, there's there's just air between yeah. her ears, but, but you know, they, they've got to get someone else in there, but their bench is so bad, Peter, that it, it's gonna be a walk in the park. 
Um, finally, tell us about your podcast, Steadfast and Loyal. Um, tell yeah. us about that kind of guess you've had on what your desire is with that. Well, Steadfast and Loyal, that is the motto of the 4th Infantry Division. Uh, that's the division that I commanded in combat uh, back in uh, Iraq. And also, it's a division that landed on the beaches of Normandy on June the 6th, 1944, Utah Beach. And uh, I think that's so important. Uh, that's a defining aspect of who I am and what I want to try to inculcate in America to be steadfast and loyal to our Constitution. And so what we try to do is talk about all these critical issues and bring out the people that can talk about solutions to these issues as well. I want to better inform, better educate, and better activate uh, people to go out and make the right decision as far as voting, not just at the federal level, Peter, but all the way down to the local level. And one of the things that I tell people is that the most important elected position in the United States of America is school board. Because the school boards determine the future of the of this nation. And I would say it's the exact same thing in any country. Yeah, no, absolutely. Colonel Alan West, thank you for your time. Fascinating My to pleasure. hear your thoughts on a range of issues. But thank you for giving us your time today. My pleasure. And I hope uh, you guys cool off a little bit because you're not used <laughs> you're not used to this Texas heat. And uh, Peter, next time uh, you're here in the States, uh, please come by. I live uh, right outside Dallas, Texas in Garland, and it would be my honor to put a nice ribeye steak on the grill for you. I will take you up on that offer, definitely. Um, let me finish off with our viewers, Carla West. Uh, all the links are in the description to our viewers. Make sure and do follow at Alan West on on Getter, on Twitter, and also the ACRU.org. Have a look at that for what uh, Colonel West is doing at the moment. And of course, you can follow his podcast, Steadfast and Loyal. So on that, I wish our viewers a wonderful rest of your day, or listeners a wonderful rest of your day. And we will see you on the next podcast. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.